this morning. Good to see our visitors as well. If you have some time, I know some of you are traveling. Uh, if you have a little bit of time to stick around, let us get to know you better. That would be fantastic. If you have not already, please fill out one of those cards that's on the back of the pew in front of you so we can have a record of your attendance. Chris mentioned it during the greeting today is what we refer to as Senior Sunday. So stick around after the invitation song. We're going to spend some time recognizing our seven seniors, two high school, five college, yeah, as we talk about the achievements that they've made over the last several years. want to remind everyone that we're continuing our study on transgenderism this Wednesday at 6 p.m. I know there was some confusion. We apologize for the misprint in the bulletin. Just know that any and all mistakes that are in the bulletin are put there for people that look for them. Uh, so we encourage you to be here at 6 p.m. as we continue that study. Starting in June on, oh no, singing at our house this week. I forgot about that. Singing at the Folding, 7 to 8 p.m. this Thursday. You don't have to RSVP. You can just show up. We do expect you to sing, though, while you're there. Starting in June, we're going to start our Rise Up Men's Study for any male 18 and older uh, to talk about some things that pertain to being a godly man in the world that we live in. We we're going to have breakfast, we're going to study the Bible, we're going to be encouraged, we're going to fellowship, we're going to just draw strength from one another during this time period. There's some sign-up sheets that are in the back. One of them has to do with the 85th anniversary. Now, there's several things that are happening as we get ready for the 85th anniversary, July 2nd and 3rd, on the sign-up sheet in the back. There's, sign, there's space for teardown, set up, but we also would... We need kitchen help on that Saturday. I don't know why that keeps disappearing. It's almost like somebody's trying to tell me to keep moving. We need help for ki we need kitchen help on that. S huh? Oh, there's a timer on the slide. I didn't know that. I'll speed up next time. Anyway. We need some help with kitchen help on Saturday, passing out food that we're going to be doing. There's also a VBS sign-up sheet in the back. Amy tells me she's still looking for one more teacher for VBS. So if you've been prayerfully considering a time to sign up to help with VBS, now's the time. Go ahead and put your name on it and get ready for that. Daniel is also wanting to talk about the prayer group sign-up sheet in the back. Uh, he, he and I talked quite a bit about it this morning, and he would like me to convey to you his thoughts that you prayerfully consider to be a, being a part of this prayer group. We have some names on it. Uh, consider putting your name on that prayer group list as he's looking to build that up so we can be praying about different things that are going on within the body and without the body uh, as we live for God in the time that we've been given. If you want to open your Bibles, we're in 2 Peter this morning. 2 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to find our time. Uh, as you're turning over there, I'd like to read from you some lines from one of our more modern poets. Uh, and I know that we can use modern poetry as in sermons because Paul did that on Mars Hill. But one of our modern poets, he, he wrote and he said, Adventure seeker on an empty street, just an alley creeper light on his feet. A young fighter screaming with no time for doubt with the pain and anger, can't see a way out. It ain't, ask, it ain't much I'm asking, I heard him say. Gotta find me a future. Move out of the way. I want it all. 
I want it all. I want it all, and I want it now. You know, there's something in each of us that those lines speak to, isn't it? When we want something or we're after something, we want all of it right now. We're not very patient people by nature, especially when we see something coming and we really desire it and we have to be patient, that's when we really start struggling. And you can call it entitlement. I don't care what label you put on it. What it boils down to is something that must be controlled. And that's impatience. We cannot let our impatience run our lives. We cannot let it make our decisions for us. Because if we're doing that, then guess what, guys? We're nothing more than just a spoiled brat who throws a fit and a tantrum every time we don't get what we want, when we want it. And we talked last week about Peter stirring the pot of memory, of how he's priming the pump, so to speak, to get us thinking about what God has done for us in the past and what he has promised to do for us in the future. And when we look at what God has done for us, it's all very practical, right? We can put all of those things into use in this world. That God supplies us with the power, the abilities, the the gifts to do these things, and, and the memories that are brought forth of what we've learned from the scriptures and what we've learned in our past from godly people who have taught us and mentored us. These are the things we're meant to be remembering because it's those memories that guide us through the challenges that we're gonna face. You know, people generally have a high opinion of themselves right? How many of us have a high opinion of ourselves? All right, I'm glad Bud and Nick and I are the only honest people in the room. We think a lot of ourselves, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it has to be put in its proper place in the grand scheme of things. And notice what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 3. We're going to read through verse 9 as he looks at these things. Because we know what God's done for us. We know the value he's put on us. So we have to think about these things. So he says, know this first of all, that in the last days, <coughs> excuse me, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance." I'd like for us to consider the idea of thinking that we are better than sliced bread for a second. When you start maintaining that positive attitude and your high opinion of yourself, do you realize what position that puts you in? Because if I think I have such a high opinion of myself that I think I'm the best thing since sliced bread, that I think that there's no one else out there that is as good as me, then what does my view of you become? What does my view of God become? 
Because in reality, if I'm going to take this attitude and I'm going to take this position, who is God now? I am. And if I'm God, what do I want? I want it all and I want it now. And these promises that God made to me all those years ago through the fathers, through the prophets, through all of those things, I should have had that by now, man. So obviously God's not paying attention. Obviously God doesn't care. Obviously God just can't keep his word. And now I have found myself in a woeful position of standing against God. I'm special. No argument. You ask me any day of the week how special I am, I will tell you. But I'm not that special. And I can never enter into the realm of thinking that I'm that special, okay? Because as much as I want something and as much as I feel like I deserve something or what I think I need, if I enter into this position, I become nothing more than a mocker. And look at what Peter says here. He's like, mockers gonna mock, man. That's in their nature. That's what they do. And if you find yourself in the position of being a mocker, what he's saying here is that you are teasing, you are mimicking in a contemptuous manner the God of heaven. You stand opposed to him. You're saying that what God has said is unreal and impossible. That he cannot do what he says he's going to do. Now, we've already talked about this where Peter tells us that the apostles, uh, the prophets, they're all telling the same story. Here he gets very specific. And it's interesting that he brings up the, sub, the subject of mockery because it's mockery in faith and faith in God and in God's promises, right? And, and it's interesting, and I've said this for the last month, I think, it's no different now than it was all those years ago. The attitude is the same. Look at what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter five. Okay, Isaiah reads, Woe to those who drag iniquity with the cords of falsehood and sin as if with cart ropes, who say, let him make speed, let him hasten his work, that we may see it, and let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come to pass that we may know it. What are they saying, guys? If God's going to judge, let him do it. I want to see it. I want it all, and I want it now. Or Jeremiah, when he writes in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 15, when he says, look, they keep saying to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. Which, by the way, nobody really wanted the word of the Lord to come now when Jeremiah was prophesying. Or Jude, even. When Jude writes, he says, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ that they were saying to you, in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. There is no difference in time period. There will always be someone who stands with their fist up in the face of God saying, prove your God now. because I'm not going to believe it unless I actually see it. Right? 
And they're saying it's a, like it's a fact that God is all talk and no action. And Peter's basically saying nothing's changed. And because, yeah, they're saying nothing's changed. Everything remains the same until now. How long will you waste your time waiting for promises to be fulfilled? And Peter says, well, let's pay attention here because they are willfully ignoring facts. What they think they're presenting is fact based on their experience and their selfishness and their mocking, standing against God. They're ignoring blatant facts, namely the creation. You know, that whole God formed everything out of water. With water, he destroyed the earth, that whole thing. And you look back in the context in Genesis where Peter is referring to, why did God destroy the world with water? Was it because sin and this type of contemptuous, mocking attitude was present through the whole world? And Peter could have used any number of examples to prove that point, right? When you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 36, we only read a couple of verses in that text from our reading this morning, but I want us to look at the entire context of this, right? Because I think at times we feel like people will stand against God and they're just going to throw stuff in his face and they're going to make crazy statements like what we've been talking about this morning. And we feel like almost, almost powerless because God doesn't strike them dead right then and there, Right? where the lightning bolts just don't come crashing from the sky and fry a person on the spot the minute that they speak out against him or say that he can't keep his word and do what, he want, what we want him to do, basically. But the greater context of 2 Chronicles is really interesting, right? Join with me. We're in 2 Chronicles 36. We're going to start in 15. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, but they continually mocked the messengers of God despised his words, scoffed at his prophets. Until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of the sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hand. All the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and of his officers, he brought them all to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its fortified buildings with fire and destroyed all its valuable articles. Those who had escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon and they were servants to him, to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, pay attention, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. Did God act when the mockers mocked? Did God act when the scoffers scoffed? Did God act when they said, if he's going to do something, let him do it right now? Yeah, he did. Took a little while. Took some time. He didn't do it immediately like they wanted him to, but he acted and that's the point Peter is making here, guys. Mocking God only leads to judgment. And history proves that point and proves it as a fact. This kind of thinking requires a paradigm shift in our minds. You guys know what I mean when I say paradigm shift? I don't think I've used that phrase yet here. A paradigm shift is a fundamental change in approach or assumptions. It's a change of how we look at things. 
okay? Uh, a, a great example of the paradigm shift that happens in Christians is prior to you claiming Christ as Lord, putting him on in baptism, we think that we're perfectly okay in our sin, that it's a, our sin as a master is a fantastic master. He's, he's gentle, he's kind, he's wonderful. The minute we come to the truth of the gospel and seeing what Jesus is teaching and what he's done, we recognize the cruelty of, the, of sin as a master and recognize the freedom in Jesus. See how our thinking changes? That's a paradigm shift. It's, we, we see things differently now than what we did before. And in the grand scheme of history, our individual lives don't even bring a blip on the radar, okay? We think that we're gonna have these great effects on history as an individual. And how many people in this earth in the history of humanity do you think have actually thought that? And how many actually did? Peter addresses the long view here. He's telling us to change the way that we think, change the way that we approach things, change the way we live our lives. You go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, remember way back when, when we were studying this, and he talks about living with present salvation, looking to the future salvation. There has to be a change in the way we see things. Because let's be honest, guys. Several thousand years ago, there were some men who were standing there looking up into the sky, watching Jesus ascend. An angel appears and says, why do you stand there with your mouths open trying to catch flies? Get to live in the way the master told you to live. He'll come back just like he went. And how long have we been standing here looking up to the sky? All the while forgetting where we're actually standing. Does it matter that God's taking his time and fulfilling promises? Guys, does it matter that God is taking his time and fulfilling his promises? No, it does not matter because whose time is it and whose promises are they? His And we've already talked about this. Will God do what God does? Yes. What does matter? That we live now according to how he directs. The amount of time it takes him to fulfill that promise shouldn't even really think, come into our thinking. Because the minute that it does, it leads us. It's very tempting to lead us into the mocking attitude that Peter is addressing here. We maintain a balance while we live on this earth. We live now with a view to the future, yes. But if we only focus on the future, we forget the here and now. And if we only focus on the here and now, we forget the future. We forget the lessons of the past, the promises of the future. God is not taking his time. You know what God is doing? He's waiting for us to do what we're supposed to do. When we read that phrase that God is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to eternal life, what do we actually think is happening in those, verse, in those words? 
You think he's just gonna send the salvation fairy down to sprinkle some salvation dust on people and that when we hit a certain number, well, let's say 144,000, Jesus is gonna come back and we're all gonna be good? Or is Peter actually trying to change our direction of thinking and saying, God's not doing this, God's not fulfilling his promises right now because he's waiting for us to get up and do something. He's waiting for us to be his people. He's waiting for the gospel to continue to be spread. So quit mocking him and get to work. Quit acting like you know better than God. Be who he calls you to be. And if there's any delay, it's because he's being patient toward you. It's a sad commentary that we're in such a rush to get what we have coming to us. Do we believe that mankind actually wants what they have coming to them? JFK once said that we need not to use time, or he said we need to use time as a tool, not a couch. And at first I thought he meant crutch, but I like the way he said it actually. Because how many of us have ever sat on the couch? Yeah, right? I don't sit on the couch, I have a love seat, okay? It's one of them high-fangled love seats, right? It reclines. I don't even have to put any real effort into reclining it. I got a button on the side that I push and takes me up, puts me in a reclining position. It'll lay me flat. And I know it lays me flat because it sleeps well. How much time have you spent on your couch? What do you accomplish while you're sitting on the couch, by the way? I know how much, what I accomplish when I'm on the couch. I check my eyelids for serviceability. <laughs> JFK's point in this is that on the couch is a waste, we waste time. And, and actually time gets away from us. We don't even realize how long we've been on the couch. And I know this is true because how many of us have been sitting on the couch watching TV and then look at the clock and go, it's 11 o'clock? I only started watching this at four. Another fact of the universe is that our time is limited. God expects us to use it properly. Now we can use it complaining about how slow God is. By the way, that amounts to mocking. Or we can use it to ensure, A, our relationship with him is, is in a squared away state and we're living in a way that pleases him. And, but we also use it in a way that he wants us to use it. Sharing the gospel, living the life, doing the things that he calls us to do. It's time to get off the couch, church. And time to live for him. You can do it. I know you can. Because God has empowered you to do it. You know what you got to get rid of? Yourself.
You got to get rid of the attitude of I want it all and I want it now. You got you to humble yourself and live according to his timetable and not according to yours. Get rid of the ego and get rid of the pride. Stop trying to be master and just let the master be the master. Justice has a song that he's going to lead us in. I believe it is trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus. I have found that statement to be true. I know many of you have found that statement to be true. But I also know that, we, that there's some of us here probably this morning that are struggling with the truth of that statement. Because you find yourself at war inside yourself trying to hold on to what you think of as mastership, trying to be your own master instead of just turning it over to him. Trust him. He knows better than you. Obey him. You've been living a life without Christ as a non-Christian. Confess him as Lord. Put him on in baptism. Have those sins washed away. I'm going to tell you, there's no greater feeling than coming out free. Doesn't mean there's not going to be challenges. Doesn't mean that God's going to be working according, not going to stop working according to his timetable just because you were baptized. But that he calls you to a greater purpose and a greater life in what you're living. If you're struggling this morning, you need prayers of the church, you need counsel from the elders. Whatever it is we can do for you this morning, we encourage you to make it known by coming forward while we stand and sing.